Welcome to the Friday Night Ohio podcast, powered by Goodwill. I'm Chris Bevan of the Canton Repository, along with Joe Scalzo from The Rep and Chris Easterling of the Maslin Independent. We're going to talk about the 2018 state title games in Canton, seven games over three days, with the Hoban-Maslin game drawing the most interest, obviously, and we'll start there. Uh, all three of us got a chance to see that. Obviously, Chris, you were covering it. Um, started out like a blowout. You already broke down a lot of this, but but haven't had a couple of days to digest it. What uh, what comes back to you about that game that you're going to remember for a little while? Well, obviously the comeback. Uh, I mean, because you're thinking as you're going into halftime, it's 34-7. Hoban's going to get the, the opening kick of the third quarter. And the way it was going, I mean, there was there was nothing to indicate that it wasn't going to turn into a running clock game, and but you know, Maslin to their credit, uh, you know, didn't didn't give up, and and really, I think put Hoban in a, in a very uncomfortable position in the fourth quarter, a position really I'm not sure they've ever been in, at least over the course of uh, of this season. Even the Ignatius game, they played from in front, but it was never really a, a threatened game. You know, they're never really threatened. But it was legitimate with, you know, six minutes ago in that game, you know, they needed that fake punt to to give them a, a chance to, to keep Maslin, you know, keep Maslin at bay. And, you know, that's a credit to the Tigers because I think they showed that, you know, they weren't that far away from Hoban, but against Hoban, you just have to be almost perfect. You know, and, and, you know, they missed an opportunity early in the game on their first possession, and I think that kind of hung over the rest of that game. Yeah, and I don't know if it's perfect as much as you definitely don't want to get into that type of hole. You, you want to be able to play even terms with them as much as you can and, and be in striking distance the whole game. Instead of the way they were, they obviously got into striking distance late. But I think in, in any of those situations, football, basketball, where you use so much energy to, yeah. to get back into a game, it, it is tough then when you really kind of give yourself just that one opening at that point. You know, I think it's also you, you just need – when you have opportunities, you have to take advantage of them. I mean, and they had an opportunity there in, in the, that first drive where they they get inside the Hoban red zone and, you know, they miss on a third down pass. They get stopped on fourth down. Then Hoban, you know, goes down they score. And then, you know, there's a controversial interception, dual possession that, that went Hoban's way. Well, even with that happening, if they score on that first possession, even with Hoban scoring on that drive, it's still 13-7. I mean, you're still – you're not – Oh my God! Now we're two touchdowns down to you know one of the best teams in in recent history. Instead, you're just okay. One score down. Let's go. Let's, let's stick with what what's been working. Well, uh, go ahead, Joe. I, I, my question is, and, and this is interesting to me: if 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 uh, Maslin doesn't get that second half onside kick. How different is that game? Because Hoban probably goes down and scores, and then they just don't have enough time to make a run at it. I think that was the, the yeah. crucial play in the game. No, absolutely. I mean, that changed the whole thing because, you know, like you say, you know, you think Hoban's going to go down and score. It's running clock, and you're just not going to give yourself enough time. You're probably going to lose. I mean, it's probably going to trim it in half in the amount of time by the time, you know, with the way the running clock works. But, uh, you know, that was obviously huge. They had tried that a couple weeks earlier against Wadsworth. They just – the kid didn't let the ball 
hit before recovering it. I mean, they had perfectly executed it. It's something they had shown on film, really. And instead, they, you know, he let he they they perfectly they did it right and 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 turned that game around to to where it's you know suddenly you know they're they're infused with with energy and and especially once they go down and, and score and you know from then you know they kind of kept hoping on put hoping on their heels a little bit as we look at the weekend as a whole the, the all seven games what uh for you guys was the best game uh, for me i think it might have been maslin hoban because it ended up being a little bit compelling there with the comeback a lot of big plays you had a lot of big time players out there um uh, the couple of games that i'd like to have seen I, I saw four of them i didn't get to see the uh the two uh the two middle games and uh was was busy in here on the the saturday night game but uh that hoban maslin game for me might have been the best one joe what's your thoughts i agree and i think the story of the weekend was just that there weren't very many good games uh, most games were were a convincing win um even a, a kirtland i think was 16 to 7 but you know felt like they were really in command of that game yeah i mean i guess if you're gonna pick one other than hoban and maslin maybe this the saint ed's coloring game just because it was competitive into the fourth quarter and it was a little bit of a surprise because Coloraine was was ranked in the top 10 nationally and and uh you know we're supposed to be just rolling past everybody the best team in the the state everybody said and they, they end up losing so uh, but i think hoban maslin probably is going to stick out for this week when people remember it for me though that that game i guess because of the expectations i had of Coloraine, and i remember seeing how good that last Coloraine team was that came through here and beat up mckinley I was disappointed by that game. I just thought Division One. It would just—I don't know. It just didn't do much for me. I didn't see a lot of great playmaking going on. I, I just expected. Uh, I, I guess I had my expectations a little higher. Maybe by the, by Friday night, I was also tired. I don't know. But <laughs> th- that game didn't blow me away. Other than the, the one receiver for Eds, I thought was really good. The one the one going yeah, to Michigan. Quintel Car- yeah. Kent is uh, going to yeah. Michigan. And, yeah, and Garrett good. Zero, the quarterback from St. Eds, he went twelve of twelve, and, and I mean he was. Yeah, pretty- I remember looking at that stat. I'm like, really? He was twelve for twelve. But you know the other thing that sticks out, and this is kind of off the the topic of the question, but it's just um, you see a lot of teams down there that run triple option or wishbone, and it gets you there. But boy, you better be really good because it's the teams that are balanced, not just from a, a run. Because there's teams that like Gerard that like to throw it every time, and that didn't really work well either. It's the teams that can do both. Get have a plan B. Yeah, and when you don't have a plan B, like Coloring didn't, uh, boy, you're in trouble because you get down by a touch down or two and and suddenly you can't do what you're doing because you're taking yourself out of the game by the way you play offense Chris what was your uh, standout well, uh, game I mean I, obviously Hoban Maslin I thought became the most compelling especially you know with the you know with the second half comeback by the Tigers but you know the one you covered Saturday afternoon Orville and Johnson Monroe I mean it didn't lack for exciting plays and, and, and big you know and, and you know, sort of, you know, you, you talk about Markel Parks all through, you know, leading up, and then, you know, it's sort of funny. It always seems to be somebody else who just make who who can, you know, when a big game like that kind of steals the steals the spotlight. And in that case, I mean, Logan Domer with what two hundred plus yards rushing, four touchdowns or on ten carries on like ten. Yeah. Oh, no, no, didn't have a rushing touchdown all season. Right. First but, three know. first three carries all go for touchdowns. I think it was like a pair of sixty yarders and a thirty five yarder. And unfortunately, I was busy in here working so i didn't get to see that and that was probably the one game i'm hoping i can catch on a, a replay at some point on, on, on spectrum i know they're re-showing those uh 
probably for the next year. But uh, as you look at the the best team performance of the seven teams that won, who impressed you the most winning? Chris, we'll let you go since you got the mic in front of you. Um, yeah, St. Ed's. Because of like you know like you know I, I know I was all aboard the Coleraine train, you know the, you know the last couple of weeks that you know I had bought the hype that they were the you know the, one of the best teams to come out of Cincinnati in a long time and all that but you know I had seen that St. Ed team the last scrimmage of the preseason against Maslin and it looked nothing like one of those vintage Ed's state title teams. You know, it looked like a good team. It looked like a team that could go to the playoffs. But nothing stood out and said, wow, this is really, you know, the Castleberry kid was was really, you know, impressive running the ball. But I thought that was as much, you know, him capitalizing on holes against Maslin's defense. But nothing said this is going to be the team that's going to win the Division One championship and is going to slow down. You know, a, a juggernaut like Coleraine had been coming into see, coming into the title game, but you know, so I guess uh, I, you know I'd give give them credit for for what they you know what they were able to do, and you know, kind of you know the proof of, of getting better as the season goes on, and um, you know, obviously Hoban you know gets you know the usual plaudits for for what they did, but 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 I I, I got to give Ed's credit for what they did. What about you, Joe? Uh, best team performance? So I'm going to agree with Chris. Uh, I will give a shout out to Chagrin Falls Kenson because they played. Uh, I think it was Kettering Alter, who you know is a state power, one of the three parochial schools in the, the tournament this weekend, and just dominated. But uh, I mean, I think you like you said. I mean, I think St. Ed started 0 2 this year. Nobody really thought this was a special team. And I'll, I'll tell you, watching that game, there was no trick to it. There was no like, oh, if this play had happened or that. They came out and beat them. They were better, especially in the second half. And you know, when you do that against the number one team in the state, which frankly, although I wasn't super impressed with maybe like their offense. I mean, athlete for athlete, they were clearly better, and they just didn't play anywhere near as well as St. Ed's. The thing is, they may, after Hoban, they may be the team best set up to be back in the title game next year. I mean, I don't know. I was looking somewhere and looking at the number of returnees, and they got a lot coming back. And, and that, I mean, the, the Kintel, uh, Caster Kent, I, I can never remember Quintel how. Kentel Kent? Yeah. I believe he's only a junior this year, so. I mean, they're going to have a lot of talent back, so I, I you know, I got to think that that Ed's is going to come in next year as you know a preseason favorite, much like you know the the team in Division Two, Hoban. Do you think uh, Hoban the best team in the state? Was was the I mean, Division Two yeah, I mean, game? Did that feature the best team in the state? Would, I, would they I'll be honest. Woods I think the Division Two game might have featured two of the best, three best teams in the state. Right. I was gonna. That was gonna be my next follow up. Was is Maslin the second or third? Or I, I really, you know, considering you know, and I, again, I know it's only a scrimmage, but Maslin physically dominated Eds in that scrimmage. I mean up at the, up front when you normally never see that. I mean with with an Eds team they're generally where they're bread and butter and you saw them against Colorado Joe. You know, they're strong up front and Masson pushed them around and you know I yeah and I don't think Hoban was that far ahead of Masson. Masson just put them you know contributed to their own early you know their, their own early demise with some with, with you know with with the way they put 
would in the first half, but you know, especially considering you know Colerain not being what I think we thought Colerain would be, and and part of that credit goes obviously to Eds, but 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 I would you know I would. I would say Maslin was one of the three best teams I saw that week and the best team that didn't win a state championship. Well, the other thing that I think makes for the argument of Hoban and Maslin being as good as anybody in Division One is just you look at the number of high-level elite recruits that they have in their you know top three grades of mm-hmm. kids that are either already committed or soon will commit or are getting the interest. And, and there you know there's a lot of Ohio State guys it, between those two schools, the Power Five guys. There's guys that are going to be playing on Saturdays that that you see at the Division One level at the skill up front. You know wherever you were on the field. I'm not convinced we don't see that game again next year. I know that Maslin has to replace a lot of big guys, you know, big play guys. But they also bring back, a, you know, uh, when you when you go through the two deep and, and you see the guys they have coming back, Longwell, Ballard, Andrew Wilson, Lamp, Zion Pfeiffer, who's a 1,300-yard rusher over on 300 carries for his career. So, I mean, that's a good nucleus to start you know, start working your way back to potentially. There's, I mean, there's going to be other teams like Philly Central Catholic and Wenton Woods that next year they're going to have to to deal with. But, but I really believe next year we talked about Division Two this year being a, a grind. I think next year it's really going to be. You talk about Wadsworth and Barberton and Maslin and Hoban and Hoover. That could be a really, really competitive division from the first round of the playoffs on next year. Looking back at the the finals this year, Joe, best individual performance. I think uh, I know where you're going to go with this. Uh, the game Saturday night is my right. Yeah, Evan Prater, the the um, quarterback from Cincinnati, Wyoming. He was going up against a guy in Gerard's quarterback, Mark Wade, who was supposed to be you know a, as good as anybody in the state. Who was you know finishing nationally like. Or not, I'm sorry, statewide, just in, in terms of rolling up the record books. And it was clear Evan Prater was the best player on the field. He ran for 200 yards. He threw for 100. I mean, and every time they needed a play, I couldn't believe his passing stats were as low as they were because every time they needed a big play, he put the ball in like a tough, big-time throw right he, on the He mark. was efficient. He didn't have to yeah. throw a lot, but when he did, he made it count. And, yeah, and, and you know, I think Markwell Parks and Logan Domer and, and obviously had huge games against Orville, but, I mean, no disrespect in but sometimes when you watch Division 5, the defensive speed out there isn't the same. And, I mean, not that, you know, nothing against Division 4. I mean, Evan Prater was doing Division 4. But, um, you know, as good as Markwell Parks is and as good as Logan Domer is, um, you know, I, I was impressed most by Evan Prater from, from Cincinnati, Wyoming. Who stood out to you, uh, Chris? Kinston quarterback John uh, Tom. I'm gonna. Tom I know you were struggling with it all last Friday. <laughs> Tom, uh, yeah, Kinston quarterback. <laughs> uh, Sixteen to twenty-three, two eighty-five, three touchdowns, and all that comes after on a first play, he gets strip sacked, 
uh, and, and gives Alter the ball, uh, you know, in, in the red zone, and they, uh, you know, their defense made a play themselves, got a turnover, and from there, I mean, he was in total command of the, of the offense. He, he was the best player on the field. I mean, it was obvious that he, and I, I believe he's only a junior. You're right. I think it's John Tom Tom Sufsik, is how you say it, and he is a junior. And, and you mentioned it, just just big numbers against a good altar team. I, I work in print, so I don't have to pronounce normally. But no, I mean, I re, he really impressed me. And, and that whole team really impressed me because, uh, you know, they, they were, you know, you think, like you said, you think about altar and, you know, traditionally one of the one of those mid-sized power parochial schools and there was no no doubt of, about who was the better team, and it was obvious by middle of the second quarter it was Kinston. And I want to give a shout out, you know, in that game, Kinston had a kicker. I was going to bring that up. I'm glad and, you mentioned and, it. Anna, uh, Anna Sanders, who became the first female to score a point in a, uh, an Ohio high school championship game. And uh, you know, scored four, uh, four, uh, six for six, six for six yeah. on PATs, and you know, you know, it's, it's in this day and age where I, I can tell you a number of kickers, male kickers who aren't who can't go six for six in a in a game. You know, it is really impressive, and and the weather was not great that no, day. it wasn't I mean, as bad it was, as it was Saturday, but it, it wasn't, wasn't rainy. But I mean, it wasn't uh, exactly the you know, it wasn't balmy or anything. You, you weren't kicking in a dome. No. <laughs> Looking at the uh, biggest surprise from the week, is there one that jumps out to you, Joe? Is it going back to the Ed's Coleraine, or is there another surprise that comes out? Well, I think the biggest surprise to me was that Maslin got back in that game. I mean, I <laughs> thought everybody thought they were done. I even wrote – I tweeted out something about, you know, Hoban being – should be in Division three so they can play Mount Union. It was just kind of a Bob Hope throwaway kind of joke. <laughs> Our first Bob Hope and, reference. And by the, the end podcast. of the game, people – it got retweeted so much, people thought that I was making this commentary on anything. And I'm like, no, it was just a silly joke because it was – the game was so out of hand. So um, I, I can't believe Maslin got back in the game. And not only that, but they – I mean, you got to be terrified if you were a Hoban fan toward the end of that game. But I, I think St. Ed's is probably the biggest upset because they did end up winning. But to, to me, the biggest surprise was that Maslin was able to find a way to, to get back in that game. How about for you, Chris? Yeah, I think exactly what he said. I mean, both both – 34-7 should be the, the death knell for, for a team. and I mean, you should be the, the prelude to something like 51 to 10, 10 or, yeah. or something. And instead, it, I mean, it's it's 35-28 middle of the fourth quarter. And, and you're, you're thinking of as great as the Magador-St. Henry comeback was in 96, considering how good Hoban was. I might have, if Maslin had finished that off, it might have been the greatest comeback in, in high school football just because of how good Hoban was. Oh, the circumstances. The circumstances. Yeah, yeah. Now, granted, I mean, being down 32 in the fourth quarter, you know, it's, it's a little, <laughs> it is no easy feat, but but definitely Maslin's comeback and, and, and Ed's. I mean, you know, because I, I – 
again, like I said, I was on the the coloring train, and I that one uh, it derailed. <laughs> T- taking uh, Hoban and Eds out of the equation, which uh, which team, Joe, do you think we'll see back here next year of those other games? Was there somebody that you thought uh, they're going to be? Well, I guess they'll be in Columbus next year, most likely. But mm-hmm. who's returning to the state uh, finals? You think from those other games? Well, I mean, Evan Prater's back for Cincinnati, Wyoming, so um, certainly I think you know that's a pretty good way to start. Um, it's you know it's interesting is Orville loses a lot and there's a lot of chatter out there that they might be losing somebody that's an underclassman too so I think that's something I don't want to get too controversial on a podcast but um, you know we'll see where Markwell Parks is playing next year he said after the game that he's two years left at Orville so um, but uh, yeah it, it's uh, it, there's a lot of interesting storylines going on with that but uh, I guess, you know, I didn't see Kenston, but, you know, they, they, the way they won that game and, you know, that could be the start of something nice for them. I'm going to take the layup here and I'm going to expect to see Marion Local and Kirtland back. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'll take the low-hanging fruit. I mean, I mean, but I mean, Kenston obviously, you know, and, and if Park stays at Orville, like... I mean, considering what you'd have to do to transfer, you know, and the new transfer rules with sitting out second half of the season in the playoffs. Mm-hmm. But yeah, we'll uh, see if that does. What yeah, you hope it does. I, you know, like to see that. Cut uh, if down. he stays at Orville, I mean, I think you know, certainly a player like that at a level like at like Division Five. But he's electric in Division. 5. I mean, in Division Five, I mean, he's electric in Division One or Two. Right at Division Five, I mean, you can win with a one player like that i mean this is not guaranteed but a player like that can take you a long way but uh, you know marion local and in in kirtland you know you almost come to expect them and it's just amazing it's these two small small schools just keep reloading and reloading you know we talk about bigger schools who you know they're like oh we're counting on this class i'm like here are these two little schools that you know they're they're pulling eighty kids a, ro- a year on their roster, and, and it doesn't matter. The names change, but the success remains the same. I'm gonna make I'm gonna make one prediction: is that Gloucester Trimble and Macomb are not back here next year. They had rosters of like thirty. Yeah, they, they just they, found well, a way. The one was the thirty-one, I think, uh, yeah. for uh, for Macomb that, that won it, and, and not many more for for Trimble. So uh, I don't know what's in, in those other classes, but th- that will be a tough act to repeat. Before we go, and this goes back to Joe. Uh, you already had your layup, Chris. We're gonna we're gonna I'm gonna throw into the rim for for the diminutive Joe Scalzo to see if he could tip it in your best storyline because looking at your twitter feed throughout the weekend i think there was one thing that stood out to, to you uh, as far as who was having success this weekend at the uh, state finals wait so diminutive here i'm, I'm five ten and a half here buddy just because you're oh, six God. two five ten and a half <laughs> who, who measured you i at mentioned five, the half, half because i don't want people to think i'm rounding up from five nine and uh, oh, I'm sitting right here. You're rounded up from five nine, but go on, <laughs> <laughs> go on. If that, that, if that five ten and a half helps you, uh, that's fine. No, that's not true. You so, wear those lift shoes. I uh, I am in the double digits after five feet. <laughs> now at least I was. At least I was at, at twenty. I don't know. I'm almost forty. You're already 
is shrinking. But let, going back to, to your Twitter feed, the one thing I saw you uh, keeping track of was who was winning and what region of the state. And uh, <laughs> It looked like you were enjoying that. That was uh, me pandering to the Northeast Ohio audience. Um, five wins out of the first six games for Northeast Ohio, and I don't mean Maslin, mass, I don't want to anger anybody, but they were they would have won it too. They were, it was five and one, and then it ends up Wyoming beat Girard. So five wins for, for Northeast Ohio, one for Northwest and Macomb, and one for uh, for Southwest in Cincinnati, Wyoming. So a big big night or big weekend for Northeast Ohio football. And um, you know, it used to be twenty thirty years ago, it was a, a given that Northeast Ohio played the best football. But right. there's been some population shift, and but I think it shows that that uh, man, it's this still this this area still rules the state. It still matters in a lot of communities, and and I think you saw that. And I also think you saw that. The ways that Northeast Ohio teams are playing. I mean, it wasn't all just, I think, the thought always in the past, kind of a smash mouth and, and pounded out. And you saw a lot of uh, variety from those teams that won in, in the way they did it. Yeah. <laughs> you grabbed the mic, Chris. I thought you had more. Um, but you're right. You know, you look at the balanced teams, the most balanced teams that, that were playing this week, and I thought were all, you know, Hoban could throw and, and, and run. Eds could throw and run. I mean, Maslin could throw. Maslin and run. could throw and run. Orville Gerard, could throw. Orville, Kinston. I mean, you know, and you had mentioned that earlier. I think that's also a big takeaway is that I think you can't be one dimensional in this day and age and, and expect to win in most divisions. It's not that you have to be able to. You have to. You know. Be fifty fifty, but you, you. I think you put it best. I thought it on, I saw it on Twitter. Is you you have to be able to throw whenever you want to, not when you need to. And you know, uh, you know. I think we saw it a couple of years ago when Perry was in the finals the second time. I wonder how much there were a couple plays that the pass plays they ran. I can think of one in particular that would have probably won them the state championship. That I wonder if had they been more of a pat, you know, if the pass had been more a part of their right, more the, of the DNA, more part of the DNA. If you know that becomes more of a natural play. Now that's not to say you can't miss a wide open pass, right? Be a throwing you know, I mean, team. We, I so, saw yeah. it. I mean, we saw it in every game. We saw somebody miss a throw, but. You know, I just I think you just need to be able to do both nowadays. Yeah, and I'll make the point. I mean, I think Gloucester Trimble ran wishbone. They lost. Colorain ran triple option. They lost. I think Johnstown Monroe ran triple option. They lost. So and then Gerard was ultra wins. So you saw that. Like and again, there's exceptions. I've covered a lot of Mooney teams that would run fullback dive on third and seven, and they didn't matter because you were just that much better. Right. But don't count on the exception. You got to be able, even if you're a wishbone team, throw it five six times a game every game, and that way when you have to throw, you'll be you'll be able to throw we're gonna wrap it there thank you for downloading and listening to the friday night ohio podcast powered by goodwill a podcast from the canton repository and maslin independent sports departments for joe scalzo and chris easterling i'm chris bevan